Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, folks. Brad Lee back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs. Today, friends, I've got a real treat for you. Megan Lujan. What's happening, Megan? Hi, Brad. How are you? Man, if I was any better, I'd be you. <laughs> well, that's generous. Thank you. For those that don't know Megan, she is the Director of Solutions and Services at Toshiba. Now, I'm sure everyone in the world has heard of Toshiba. How did you get that job anyway? Ooh, it's a whimsical path at best. Uh, I started out as a temporary scanner operator right in the downturn of the last economy hit in 2007. And, you know, I fell in love with document process and how to improve business process, you know, solving problems. You know, moving through that path, I learned about software solutions and eventually spent a lot of time as a vendor with Toshiba until about seven years ago when they finally talked me into coming on board and working for them. Damn, so you got recruited. You must have been doing a good job as a vendor. <laughs> hey, when you help your clients make a lot of money, it makes sense to help them from the inside out. You got, you got, you got headhunted. You could say targeted. Absolutely. So, so the, the reason I wanted you on the show is because, you know, I was being told by my, my guy that books talent, you know, Megan is a strategist, she's a storyteller, and she grew up, you know, in a unique, well, not unique, because there's other people, but I mean, obviously, you had a tough upbringing, you were homeless, right, left to fend for yourself. It says you didn't have a mom or dad, which I imagine that means, um, that they weren't around because obviously everyone born has a mom and a dad, but just not yeah. around. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so, so let's go down that story a little bit. I mean, we can talk about Toshiba and business uh, solutions here in a little bit, because I believe there's a lot of people that might be able to get some knowledge out of that because they're sitting at home in a corner of their house. Like I am right here. And like you are right there, I imagine, or I don't know, maybe that's a Toshiba office. Where is Toshiba based out of? Is that Japan or something? Is that a Japanese company? Yeah, we're a Japanese company at the heart of it. Um, I'm with Toshiba America business solutions. So I'm based out of the heart of orange County, California and Southern California. Okay, good. So, so Megan, tell me, like, what happened growing up? Like, what happened? Why, why was it so tough? Why didn't you have a mom and a dad? Yeah, you know, um, I think people can, can look at this story in, in a couple different ways. You know, um, I'm going to always be the half glass full kind of person. So, growing up, I, I attended more schools than I can possibly count. I moved more times uh, than I could possibly count. My, my mom was in a lot of different uh, violent relationships and around, I believe, 10 years old, we had our first run-in with Child Protective Services. She was dating somebody at the time. He also had a son and he had abused her and essentially paralyzed the last side of her body. At that time, you know, we got involved with Child Protective Services and they started to watch our case and the lifestyle and upbringing that we had. Uh, my father wasn't in the picture. He had actually been arrested and uh, had a relatively large sentence for child abuse and was held in San Quentin. 
for many, many years. So I, I didn't really know him growing up. Uh, so at that time, you know, you get put in foster care. I think at this point I'm 12 years old. And everything that you thought you knew, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, that was your life. That's what you, you grew up in, you know. So I lost the connection of what I thought was normal. I lost my siblings, and we got transferred into multiple homes uh, over and over again. And, you know, it, it's just the life that you have when you're a foster kid. You know, they come and pick you up with white gloves, and they bring trash bags, and they put your stuff in in these vans and you get sheltered off to homes that you don't know. Um, these people, you know, they take you in, there's lots of bunk beds and you just kind of sit there and you look around and you're like, what, what happened? And there's this moment of just lucid anguish, you know, that's coming out of you because everything you thought you knew is gone and it's different. Right. And I think that's where the agility and the ability to adapt and overcome my situations probably began to cultivate. Wow. So I have a couple of questions. Number one, uh, did you ever run into any weirdos at the foster homes? Like weirdos meaning like <laughs> perv, perv foster parents or were they all pretty nice people that just looking to help out kids? Uh, I, I had some relatively interesting experiences. You know, my older brother had aged out. My sister stayed in and got adopted. She's 15 months older than me. And me and my little brother, I think maybe it was a third, fourth, fifth time we had kind of gone back and forth to our mom. Maybe we were at 10 foster homes at this point. Um, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I, I woke up in the middle of the night after we were taken again. And I took my little brother with the backpack that I had at yet the next home with the trash bag of the stuff that we were able to take. And I, I just left because of those type of environments. They, they weren't necessarily healthy. A lot of, a lot of the foster parents that I experienced looked at us from a monetary perspective you know, um, they were given money to take us in, given money to take care of us, but it was very transactional to us. Um, and it, I think it was hard not for them to be transactional, right? Well, I mean, I, n- no, like in other words, they, they, they should, they should have been relational for sure. Like I understand uh, foster homes are necessary. However, if you're doing it so you can collect 800 bucks on the kid, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. I think now that's just me, but, but I'm, I'm, I've heard stories. Now I was never in a foster home. I almost went to some, um, my mom and dad got divorced at like when I was, um, two, two and a half, maybe. Um, and ultimately my mom sent all of us except for the baby to a foster home. And then my grandmother, thankfully, told my dad to get off his ass and come get us because my dad, from what I hear from the story, I was only two. My dad was basically saying, you know, see ya. So, so ultimately, I had a little bit of a, uh, of, a, of, a, of a rough beginning, but my grandmother smacked my dad's ass and told him to go get your kid. So he came and got us right when we were about to get shipped out to, to different foster yeah. homes. So I never got to experience foster homes, but I talked to a lot of people and it all sounds the yeah. same. It's very, it's very transactional. That sucks. Mm-hmm. It must have sucked for you. How old were you? Uh, to, no, to be quite honest, it's all, it's all crystal illusions kind of broken up in the past. You put them in little containers in your head, you lock them up and you, you put them away. I think my first experience was around 10 
Uh, and it was just that yo-yo back and forth, right? The system and the process and the counseling and the homes and, you know, your mom going through visitation rights and showing up at, you know, different counselors' homes or different homes she was renting. And it was, you know, it all just kind of blurs and stretches. That's sad. Hey, what about your mom? Why was she, why was she continually in violent relationships? I don't, I don't know. You know, my mom, my mom raised me on Zig Ziglar and just the belief that I could be anything that I wanted to be. Um, she instilled that in, in us, but I don't know. She just continued to choose bad partners that, um, that weren't good for her and weren't good for us. And hell, I don't know, maybe that was her survival mechanism to try to figure out how to, you know, take care of the kids. Um, I learned a lot from her. I, I learned that she loved us the best that she could with what she had. I learned how to be resourceful from her. I learned how to communicate because you never have a second chance to beg or to, you know, ask somebody for help. Um, I, I truly don't know why she took the path that she did. You know, I think she was searching for something. I don't know that she ever found it. Is she still alive? Yeah, I believe so. Do you, do you talk to her much anymore or no? No. no. Mm. You know, I, I'll tell you, you look like a young lady, but uh, I'm an old man. So here's what I believe about people that choose violent relationships and relationships that are just not real healthy. I think deep down, they don't like themselves for some reason. Yeah. You know, and mainly... Yeah mainly whether they, you know, were told as a, as a child that they're worthless or, you know, they, they allowed negativity to seep into their brain. Um, but I think, I think you make choices in life based on, uh, what you believe you're worth, you know, your self-worth or self-love if you want to call it that. And so when people are in, uh, violent relationships, like when women allow men to beat them, um, and stay, and, and repeatedly enter, enter relationships with yeah. men that beat them. It's because I believe, and again, it's just my opinion. I'm no therapist, but I believe subconsciously their mind is telling them that they deserve a beating. Their mind is telling them that they are not worth respect in a relationship. And, yeah. the, and, and the, way the, fi- the way you fix that is, is hard because you can't delete things out of your subconscious that, that program those things. You have to just add new stuff. So it's crazy that she was telling you positive things, telling you, you can be anything you want, exposing you to Zig Ziglar yet maybe never found like the answer for herself. That's, that's a bummer. Yeah. But it also taught me that there's a lot of people in this world that are capable of talking about doing a change. And there's very few people who are willing to stand up and take the action. And I think that's where I chose to just go the other route, learn, but execute and the execution and, you know, jumping into projects and putting myself in places that were just frankly uncomfortable to learn, to learn, to love the fail. Um, that's what I had to embrace. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, well, yeah. And again, I mean, there's so many people worried about failing that they don't even try, which means basically they failed anyway. So they're worried about something that, uh, that, that's going to happen. I forget who said it, but I think somebody said, you know, you attract what you fear. 
Mm-hmm. And, and most people don't understand that like if, 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 if you attract what you fear and you fear being broke and you fear being left alone and you yeah. fear getting divorced, yeah. that's what happens. Yeah, totally. I don't even allow those type of things to come into my mindset. You know, when you're put into a position um, and early on the decision was you're going to fail or you're going to succeed. I chose to fail in ways that would help me succeed. So standing up and taking on the hard projects and doing the hard things, you know, temping at various different jobs and, you know, waking up and showing up was my recipe for making sure that, you know, (laughs) I wasn't just the person on the couch telling somebody what they should do. You, so you do work now with like foster homes and you, what do you do? You, you have a book coming out, you do stage speaking, you're, you're like a big wig in the tech industry. You're like a hot shot with Toshiba. Like, tell me more. Um, yeah, where to start. So I'm, I'm passionate. I've got a growth mindset. I am hungry to learn if, something is of interest to me, you cannot quench my thirst to learn about that subject. So, you know, starting out in sales, because I have a communication uh, strength, um, I I learned about customer needs and their problems, which led me to software and product creation, go-to-market strategy, and truly understanding what our customers' needs are. But then I took it to the landscape of distribution how can I empower armies of teams and use that multiplier effect to bring products to market that deliver solutions at, at just at, at, at mega growth levels, right? So um, I told myself that when I became the definition of what other people assumed was successful, that I, I would give back. Um, but I'll tell you, Brad, it, it, telling my story um, was probably the biggest fear I had for the first 10 years of my career. I was a young female. I didn't go to high school. I don't have a college degree. If you look at me on paper, I'm not the person you're going to hire and I'm not the one you're going to give the job to. Right. So, um, I worked really hard. I showed up, I was there before everybody else. And, you know, I, I followed two rules, always make your boss look like they're the smartest person in the room and make sure you over deliver on everything. And I think that opened up a lot of opportunities for me to grow as an individual, um, especially in my position at Toshiba. So I've had the opportunity to speak on stage with them around the world. I've had the opportunity to launch products and communicate uh, the value of solutions and services to customers. And I think my communication and my upbringing kind of gives me that fearless um, confidence, right, to, to do so. Always make your boss look good. That's a good one. Yeah. And always yeah. over deliver. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are, those are, I don't have my bomb sound effect, but I can tell you those, <laughs> those, those, that's definitely bombs. You've been dropping bombs. That's for sure. I mean, if, if someone just did exactly what you said, turned off the podcast right now and started implementing everything you just said, I, I would agree a thousand percent that they would succeed in whatever they do. Make your boss look good. And always over deliver. What if, what if they're sitting at home right now? Uh, Let's switch gears a little bit because I want to take advantage of your knowledge, right? Uh, uh, Not just your experience, but you're a, you're a director of solutions and services at Toshiba, correct? Yep. So, so you're out there helping companies find solutions for their problem. Now, most people sitting at home, working remote are going to have to tap into things like Zoom and go to meeting and, and all the different Mm -hmm. options that are out there. What do you believe 
an individual needs to professionally present themselves in a, in a home office environment? Yeah, so the, the first thing I'm going to say that most businesses are challenged with is business continuity. They're trying to take their centralized, collaborative team environments that happened in a traditional office and virtualize that overnight. So they need the technology and they need the infrastructure at the home base level to connect into the business infrastructure that already exists. So first thing I would say is you got to make sure that you're able to connect to the systems and the infrastructure that your business already has. So are your team set up with the appropriate tech at home? You know, we had a customer recently, a school district that overnight they had to virtualize and go to this remote learning concept that most people are hearing about on, on the news today, right? Um, so overnight we were able to drop ship them printers directly to their houses so that they could create these student packages and deliver them to their students. So it's all about figuring out how what you did in a, in a centralized world can now happen in a virtualized world. And then you get into those tech tools. You get into the Zooms and to the go to meetings and the applications that help you connect. Um, then we're talking about remote productivity, and that's the second step for a business. You want to jump from enabling your workforce in a virtualized environment to now remote productivity. And that's where software comes into play. What systems are you using? Are they standard? Do people clearly have their roles defined? Do they know what their job function is? And can you track and account for that without being a bizarre like micromanager, right? So that's where you hear cloud systems come in. Can you put something in a system like Smartsheet as an example? Can a person complete a task and you can see that without sending 500 emails to them about the status of their projects, right? So it's all just about connectivity and, and that's why I love technology. Technology helps you connect. It helps you do things better and it's the way that you use it and implement it in your business that's gonna help you succeed right now. Business continuity. Well, what about uh, looking all fancy like you're at, you know, Better Homes and Gardens office like yours? <laughs> well, well, I, uh, I don't know. I, I believe that the space that you're in dictates your mood and your environment. So it's very important for me to have a clean space to reset my area and to be prepared and, you know, just clear-headed, right? You got to do your focused work. And if you're in a place that's got cups and tissues or, you know, snacks and leftover bowls and stuff, your head's cluttered. You're not able to get to the things that you need to do. Um, if, if you clean up your space uh, and you, you get ready for the day, you're starting off with a clear mind and you're able to, to jump into it. I think probably the more, the more applicable uh, question here is how, how are people showing up digitally right now? You know, there, there's a lot of bizarre things happening on social and a lot of people showing up in ways that probably don't make sense for them or their business. And, and that part is, is pretty interesting to me. Yeah, you notice, I, I've been noticing a lot of people on these Zooms have these virtual backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think to myself, what's wrong with the space that you're in that you, that you feel <laughs> it necessary to mask where you are? And quite frankly, I don't mind it. Again, I don't care if someone has that going, um, especially if, if they're in a, if they're in a, you know, rundown shithole. But, but at the, <laughs> end of the, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I think people need to understand that, you know, do I look down at the camera or up at the camera? Like sometimes people yeah. want to look like yeah. right now I'm looking at you, but this is being recorded yeah. for replay. So I don't yeah. want to look yeah. at you. I want to yep. look at the camera. So if yep. I were talking yep. to somebody at home, these are all things just like when you walk into a building 
if you're not looking to, yeah. the, if you're not looking at the camera, that would be the equivalent of someone walking up to you yeah. in person and you looking like this. So, yeah, so you got your blind spots on, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so I always tell people, look at the camera, not at the, don't look at the person, look at the camera. Yeah. Because the camera yeah. is your eyes. Looking down right. at you is not your eyes because you might be right. looking at me right now. Like, look at, look, look, I don't know if you are, but look at me. See, so right now I'm looking at you, but, but I'm not looking <laughs> at you until I go like this. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, your performance is right there, right? That's where your cue is. That's what you want to do. I think, you know, uh, people struggle with two things in a virtualized environment. The first one is authenticity, right? So my backdrop, there's authenticity. This is, this is my true life, right? And in order to, to show you that anal, authenticity, I have to trust you. But you're a little obsessed. You're, you're, you're like a clean freak. You're like, you like, you're like OCD. Cause, cause that looks like you are better homes and gardens. Thank I mean, you. look, I appreciate look that. at your screensaver. Like that's almost, it looks literally like that is an, that is a staged office in a, in a company. You know, very nice. You always very come prepared. You always come prepared. Well, but again, it's I important to, you to let you into my backdrop, right? You know, so that's the second one. It comes with authenticity, but it's just, you're knocking on my front door when you come into my, to my video screen, right? I need to trust you and, and be prepared. And I think it shows respect that I've cleaned up my backdrop and I'm showing myself as a presentable person to you. So authenticity, trust and preparation. Interesting. So, so, if I'm sitting at home in a shithole, I use the uh, virtual background. Um, is there anything? Because again, I mean, it's authenticity is important. But you know, if 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 you're in a shithole, you know, I would say use your green screen. Like I don't want to see dirty yeah. walls and 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 in cords hanging down your walls and you know macaroni stains on your curtains. Like if if you're in a sh and by the way, I mean, dude, right now there's a lot of people without money, Megan. So there could be people right now that they don't have a choice. They're in a shithole. And I don't necessarily yeah. think that it would be wise if they're sitting there trying to do a job and sell people over the, over the phone. And, and, and I see that you're in a shithole, especially in sales, because usually yeah. sales, you have to emote some sort of success and confidence. People see, that's another thing. When I grew up, everyone, all my sales trainers always said, you don't want to wear any fancy clothes or jewelry. And, I, and I'd always say, why? And they'd say, because you don't want people thinking you're making too much money. So don't wear any, anything fancy or don't do anything nice and, you know, be humble. And, you know, I've always found that to be bad advice. Like, it was, the, it was the people with the Rolex that I was impressed with. It was the people with the nice cars and the success that I wanted to buy from. It seemed to me that if you were successful uh, selling something, that whatever you were selling meant that, you, that it was a good product. I don't know if that was just a character flaw of mine, but what do you think of that? Uh, so I think it depends on the type of product line that you're selling. You may have been, if you're door to door and doing SMB type stuff, like I, I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners when I first started. Right. So, um, so you're going to so have a I. different, <laughs> all right, we're, we're Kirby buddies here. Right. Um, I think it depends, right. You, you need to show up for the job that you're performing. And if you've got interest in moving to the next level, you better show up for the job that you want, right. From a visual perspective. 
I, I've heard sales managers tell me, listen, I want you going out there and taking the lease out on the BMW or the Mercedes because I want you to know what it's like to have to pay for something because that's going to make you hungry. So extend yourself, right? I think that was, you know, in the, in the you know, 2007, 2010 timeframe. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the brands that you wear, right? I, I wear high-low fashion, right? I could be wearing something that's nice, um, but I could also be wearing something that's ten dollars. I think it depends on how you present yourself. Are you groomed? Do you look well? Have you put the time into showing up properly? Have you done the research on your customer? Do you know what their initiatives are? Have you hit their website, all their social? You know, are you ready for an intelligent conversation? Um, and I think I think how you present yourself, and maybe that's the visual you got to take in consideration. Um, and you're not always going to impress everybody, right? There could have been a guy with a Rolex and you're like, you know what? I came from nothing and getting that Rolex means something to me because he worked for it. Uh, another person could look at the Rolex and be like, you know what? I, I, I want to put that Rolex in the bank and see compound interest over term with it. So you're just going to invoke different emotions from people, right? So do you believe in looking like a successful person or looking like a humble person? And by the way, I should rephrase that because you can be successful and humble. But so you, you, yeah. you think, you think like if, if you made, if you made really good money and you drove a, you know, nice Mercedes and you had a Rolex and you had a big fat five carat diamond ring and, you know, diamond bracelets and, you know, you, you were successful. Do you, would you, do you believe people should take that off when they go to work? So people no, don't, think, I don't think so. too much money. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, People are going to judge you regardless, right? You get judged for not having the nice stuff when you walk into a room. Like how many kids these days are pissed off at their parents because they don't have iPhones, right? I mean, that's an expensive piece of uh, equipment there. That's equivalent to some to some ladies' bracelets that they're walking around with. So I think it's, it's subjective based off of where you're at. I, I personally, you know, I don't really care what you have. I'm not really interested in, in your money. I'm interested in your story. So I think it's approaching it with a little bit of grit and a little bit of grace and, you know, having your humble hustle. Mm, that's another good one. That's another good one. Um, I like the one where you said the space dictates your mood. You yeah, know, absolutely. absolutely. Bowls and things like that. Um, yeah. You got to clean up your space. You got to reset it, right? You got to be prepared and ready and, um, I think it's just giving respect to, to the activity that you're doing. You know, you're, you're showing up and you're prepared and you're ready for something to, uh, to work. <laughs> so how long, what's, what do you think's going on with this coronavirus crap? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm blocking my mind from a lot of the, the day-to-day noise. I, you know, I'm Pacific time. So I tend to take my news at the end of the day and, and stay aware. I've personally been in my house since, since, St. Patrick's Day. So I think we're rounding out three weeks, almost four weeks at this point in time. Um, It's scary. It's really scary. I caught myself last night watching um, the pandemic movie on Netflix. Interesting. You know, um, I think generationally, there are so many changes that we cannot even comprehend at this point in time. I think a lot of people are in their homes, not really seeing the impact in the world. Uh, I think a lot of businesses are, you know, pivoting in ways that really make sense for, you know, the next generation. Um, And I think a lot of us need to take some damn time and sit back and mourn the life that we had. 
because I don't think it's ever coming back the same exact way. And as soon as you realize that and you figure out what the new normal is going to be for you, you'll be able to take it head on. Right. You know, reading blogs, I don't know if you saw the recent one. It was, it was all over yesterday, but people said that we're not going to do handshakes anymore. You know, so how, how do you express, you know, that connection in a business environment? How do you break that boundary when you're trying to sell somebody something, but you're still trying to connect with them? So I think there's going to be a, a, you know, there's some scientific stuff that's going to come out, some psychological stuff that's going to come out, and we're going to figure out how we're going to work with one another in a new world and virtualize our connection, right? And that's where tech comes into play. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, I don't, I don't care if I ever shake your hand or not, but at the end of the day, I walk <laughs> up, start talking to you. I mean, you can be besties when I never shook your hand at all. So I don't think a handshake's yeah. going to bother me if that's the new thing. But Again, keep in mind, Megan, that's the media, like Dr. Fauci. Fauci Fauci says, we'll never shake hands again. Dude, shut up. There's people right now that if you opened up a a, a stadium and put a rock concert or some sort of concert in there, there and it was voluntary and you can go if you want to, everybody would go. Like there's a lot of people that would go. I don't believe believe that there's going to be a big difference. I think the new normal is might be – some sort of loss of our rights. In other words, like, I can't believe they're just literally shutting down the freaking world. Like, this is unbelievable. Unprecedented. Yeah. Never, never in the history of the world. We are literally told to stay at home. And in some cases, forced. Like, uh, I, I forget who it was, but someone's saying basically now, narc on your neighbor. If your neighbor's not staying at home, tell on them and we'll give you a reward. It's like, are, are people nuts because guess what? If we're all at home and I leave my house, there's no one out there to get sick, right? So if you, leave, if you, right? if you leave your house, why you're leaving. It, was, it shouldn't matter is my point. Like at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, right? It's, it's, it's the, new, uh, the new norm of the nosy neighbor, right? They're employed or implored to go out and, and to spy and say, what are they doing? What's going on, right? It's like, you know, it's, uh, citizen but management. To me, it's like wearing your seatbelt. There is a law that says we have to wear our seatbelt. I, I don't agree with it only because like, I thought this was America. I thought we could do what we want to do, say what we want to say, go where we want to go. As long as it's not harming anybody else, me not wearing my seatbelt has zero harm on anyone but me. So if I don't want to wear a, a helmet while I ride my motorcycle, who the hell is the government to tell me what I have to do? And, and Hey, you don't want to wear a helmet. Don't wear a helmet. Now, when it comes to don't leave your house, cause you could make other people sick. Well, if everyone's in their house, who's out there to make sick? Yeah, this is a rather provocative topic. You know, it, you could carry it to somebody. It's the multiplier effect. I guess Doug, I'm, I'm coming from the, the data side of do I want to take the risk of impacting somebody else and why do I need to go out? You know, I, from my perspective, my food's been delivered through Amazon Fresh forever. I have Freshly Meals that come, so the decision point on do I need to go out versus what's the impact to somebody else or myself. That's kind of where I weigh it out. Well, just for the record, uh, I tell everyone to stay home because I have stayed home since, since the 17th, I think of March when they told us to, and I really haven't left. Like I go in my backyard and you know whatnot, but I haven't left, I haven't left in, in that long. And, and I don't care. You know why I got a lovely little family. You know, I got cute little girls, you know, I got a computer, I got Zoom, I got my whole team, you know, I can jump on meetings left and right. I still do my podcast. Nothing's changed other than I don't leave the house. Now, 
with that being said. You're more productive, do you think? I don't think I'm any more productive, no. I, I, I think I'm less productive because like when I'm jump when, I, when I'm done here, I might freaking you know, walk out, grab a cup of coffee where if I was at work, I'd keep on working. You're right. I wouldn't drive home yeah. for a cup of coffee. I wouldn't drive home to go play with my little girl. Here, you know, I see my little girl right over there. You know, I jump off a call. Man, let me go play with her a little bit. But I think I'm less productive at home. However, back to where I was going, if somebody wants to leave their house, they should be able to. They're just, they're assuming the risk. Now, someone says, yeah, but you're endangering other people. No, you're not. Because if you want to leave your house, you're electing to be in danger. You see what I'm saying? Like if I leave my house and nobody wants to be in danger, stay the fuck home. Oops. Sorry about that, Megan. I, I hate cussing <laughs> when, when I, I hate cussing when there's, when there's uh, girls on, I don't know why I think it, I think when I was young, I was taught to respect more a female than I am a male. But anyway, I think if you leave your house, that's up to you. I just don't get why, why you would, you would be forced to stay home. Now, Obviously, we're not in martial law yet. If I leave my house, no one says anything. I don't get pulled over by police. I think people are exaggerating. They're telling you to shelter in place. Now, in certain places, they are telling you not to leave your home after 8 o'clock without these reasons, or you could be cited. Now, that's starting to get a little bit, whoa. But the whole point is, is if you leave your house, you're, you're electing to be in danger, just like Hey, if you want to, if you know, you probably shouldn't go to a bad neighborhood, but if you want to go, go. So I look at it that way. I don't like the fact uh, that, that we need to, that we're, that we're close to, because we're not there yet, being forced to stay home. So I think the new normal, that was a long way to get to the new normal. I think the new normal is going to be less rights. We're going to have less rights. In other words, the government is going to control things that we used to enjoy, like um, no more no more sporting events, uh, no more movie theaters, no more gatherings, and they can control that, right? So now we're not allowed to, even if we want to. I think that's the new normal. But handshaking, I don't, number one, I don't care if that's the new normal. And number two, I don't think that's the way you build a relationship anyway. Like, have you ever shook somebody's hand and immediately tingled and thought, wow, we're friends. <laughs> no, but I have definitely had a couple wet noodle handshakes where it's just like, oh, that was awkward. Let's not. Hey, <laughs> you hey, know what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, but that's, a, but that's a good point. Like, that'll help people yeah. because, dude, there yeah. were some people with some shitty, shitty handshakes. But it also tells you a lot about the person, right? I think, you know, even in a professional world, when I go to shake somebody's hand, I think a man probably is teeing me up at that point to say, Hey, you know, wh what level in the business are you? Or, you know, what's your level of confidence? It's kind of that grip, that shake that, Hey, I'm right here. And you, you know, exchange eye contact and, you know. Yeah. Well, again, I, I it, people are asking me a lot because I'm, my whole career was based on sales. And so I started teaching people how to sell and how to close. And there's a way to close almost any closable situation. And most people don't realize that some deals are just not closable. So no matter who you are, you're not going to close yeah. them, but there's okay. a technique. And so people ask me, how do I close deals on online? And I'm like, you close them the same way you do in person. Yeah. There, there's, there's no difference between closing in person and closing right now, other than 
you in person, you can read body language better. You can yeah. take, take control of a customer better. Like, Hey, follow me. Yeah. You know, you can't do yeah, that yeah, yeah. virtually. Micro expressions mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ultimately the steps are the same, but it's more difficult yeah. to, 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 to achieve. So, so now what do you have to do? In my opinion, you have to almost soften your approach, which I think is good because I, I teach it's an emotional commitment. It's empathy on the front end, right? You, you have to connect with them in a very different way. Um, I, I think the, the sales model that I grew up in, you know, you could go anywhere from spin selling to, you know, the, to the consultative sales approach. I think that we're facing an environment where salespeople are now put into this challenger sales model, right? Where their customer knows what they need and they've done the research because the information is easily accessible to them. And now if you're not coming with the knowledge that they need in order for you to be able to answer the two or three objections, right, that you can handle, um, they're moving on to the next, right? So I think it's um, brevity in the content that you release. It's getting an emotional connection on the front end, which is really establishing the needs so that you can move into what's the budget, what's the time frame, and hit them on the closed sell cycle end, right? But if there's not a need, move on. It's a numbers game, right? It's not filling up your pipeline. It's just noise to the forecast. If How long do you think you should spend figuring out whether there's a need or not? Uh, I think it depends on the, the product that you're selling. Um, and I think it depends on the salesperson. I'm, I'm a relatively blunt individual. So on the front end, I generally have conversations with with decision makers and say, is this an initiative? Is this something that you're looking to invest time and energy into? Is this some, you know, what's the definition of success for this project for you? And how can I allocate my time and energy to helping to support you? And I think they then look at you as a business partner. You're not a salesperson. Hey, I'm here to help you with something. Is this something you want me to commit my time to? Because my time is valuable as well, just as yours is. So, so pretend I am a potential Toshiba business solution customer. What would you say to me? I'd ask what your existing pain points are related to some of your business processes. If, if you've had challenge in getting access to your documents or, you know, delays in getting your receivables done, I, I'd want to understand where the paper is coming to and where it's going to and how I can help you take technology, overlay that and do that in a more efficient transactional way for you. Do you have to, do you have to cold call or do you get leads and, and, and whatnot handed to you? Do you, are you selling it or do you manage a team of salespeople? I don't, I'm not on the sales organization side. So now I'm in product marketing. I manage our portfolio and the go-to-market attached to it. So I actually on the front end uh, do the strategic analysis of what the customer needs are and bring that back in, in our product design and creation. From there, we put together a go-to-market plan based upon our channel's requirements and we create the training, the assets, the tools, the lead magnets, the funnels, all that type of stuff. And we shower it down. In fact, this, this last uh, Wednesday, we just did an end customer webinar um, where we started from the ideation of a remote product uh, productivity and we did a webinar to, you know, 900 people where we were talking about, you know, the pain points and the needs. So we're, we're the voice, we're telling, telling the story and, and talking about the, you know, the enemy or the problem and the solution that we can have. And um, we get the multiplier effect. We get out there and we tell our resellers and our, our direct sales force, which is a little over 500 people, and we empower them to go out there and carry that message to their, to their customers in their regions. Interesting. So if, I don't know if you listen to the, I don't know if you're in the bomb squad and listen to dropping bombs regularly, or you might've just heard one because you were coming on, but 
what would you say to the average? Because again, I've got all kinds of people. I've literally got lawyers and doctors and and blue collar workers and 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 entrepreneurs and employees. Like I get a lot of different variety of people following me. What would be the top thing that you would want to share with somebody right now that's sitting at home that might be a little bit worried about when will this ever end and and how will it ever end? Like they're nervous. Like so they're, on a professional level or personal their, level? What's that? On a personal or a professional level? Well, I don't, um, on a professional and personal, I guess. But to me, I, I, you know, I'm talking about if someone's sitting home worried right now and they're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know what's going to happen. How long will this last? I'm scared. People aren't buying. You know, it's not the same. Nobody wants to spend any money. Everybody's, you know, nervous. Like the whole world's taking a shit. What do I do? You know, and I'm nervous. They're literally anxiety attacks type thing. What would you tell them? Yeah, yeah. I would tell them that the first step is acknowledgement. Uh, and once you realize you can't control those things and you put that almost, you know, in its, its own category and, and separate that from the now issues, uh, you then can acknowledge the energy towards, hey, I can't control this over here, but there are things that I can do to help me in this environment, right? So the first thing, you know, once you, once you identify that is, is I want them to know that everything that they need is in their heart and in their head. And there are resources out there that will help you succeed in whatever it is that you want to do. I mean, you're looking at somebody who didn't go to college. I didn't go to high school. I worked really hard. I, over the last year, wanted to tell my story and empower people because people started to think that I was successful. So I figured out how to do that. And, and my avenue was personal branding. So I read every book available, every book. I've got bookshelves all over and I consume information. You have access to information. Find your passion, go learn about that and give that back to the world. When you start helping people and you start sharing your, your passion, you're going to find a path forward for you, right? And you just got to start, just start someplace. Out of the top, uh, out of all the books you've read, give me top three. Ooh, hope is not a strategy. I'm going to go back because these are some of the foundations that I have. Hope is not a strategy. Um, how to win friends and influence people for sure. Uh, let's see. What's my next top one that I love? I'm, I'm all about the personal self-development. One that I've recently read, which was really good, it's um, Platform from uh, Cynthia Live. It's all about personal branding. And it spoke to me in, in a more professional way because she, she tells people that if you're a thought leader and an expert in some place, you need to start raising your voice because there's a lot of people out there capable of talking, right? But they're now just doing it in a social way. If you know something and you have confidence and experience in it, it's time for you to tell the world that in a way that they can understand so that they can learn from you because somebody else who really doesn't have that something is just out there typing, right? And can, pushing out information that people are consuming. So rise up and share your knowledge. Megan, if someone really wants to follow you, where, where's your ideal place to follow you? I would say LinkedIn. You're probably going to get some great information on LinkedIn. Um, we choose our personality, so to speak, on each social platform. So LinkedIn is where you're going to get a lot of insights from me and a ton of value on, you know, personal branding, how to show up digitally. Uh, if you want to peek at my inside personal life, you can take a look at my YouTube channel uh, or my Instagram. Um, my website also has some good blogs. All of it's MeganLujan.com. So M-A-E-G-A-N-L-U-J-A-N.com. 
All right, beautiful. And then last but not least, I know you have a new book coming out like in May or June or something. Tell them where they can find that, MeganLuhan.com? Yeah, MeganLuhan.com. You know, um, I've, I've uh, had a little bit of time on my hands since I've been home. So I'm a knowledge worker and I do what knowledge workers do best. I took the knowledge that I had and I started to, to lay it out for people because as I started to share my story, people realized that I was designing a personal brand and I was showing up digitally. It just happened to intersect when everybody went home and did this remote virtualized environment. So now I want to share that knowledge with the world. I want to show them, hey, it's pretty simple. Figure out how to, how to share your story with the world and show up digitally. And the avenue and vehicle for that is personal branding. So, so the book is about what? How to show up digitally. You know, what does it mean to show up digitally? And, and how do you build a personal brand? It's all about, you know, looking inward. Uh, at Toshiba, I help design products. And some of the basic questions I ask is, what is it? What does it do? Who is it for? And why do they need that, right? So now ask yourself that. Who are you? What do you believe in? What are you willing to do every single day to make a change in your life or in this world? And is this something you're passionate about? Is this something that you literally cannot wait for the next sunrise to happen because you will jump out of bed and pour your energy into it and lose hours of your life on it? That's something you should invest time and energy into and share with the world. And personal branding is a great way to do it, you know? Um, if we're at work, we're hired for a function and something that we need to do. If you show up on social and share your passions, you're, you're rounding out who you are as an individual on the professional side, but also on the personal side. And that creates that connection that we all need right now. That is big. I have a little noise in the background, so I thought I was muted for a moment. Well, Megan, <laughs> Megan, I definitely um, loved your story. I am uh, impressed as hell. You ended up, well, even with that background, you still ended up in a, in a big, fancy, cushy job. And, <laughs> and, and, and you've learned, you've learned, it seems like you're, 60 with your knowledge. You've learned a lot in such a short amount of time, probably because you were forced to, but it's very impressive. And I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm looking to be a beacon of hope to people out there who have felt judged or um, held back. You know, I want them to know that they can chart their own path and what they believe in and what they are capable of doing is inside of them. It's in their heart and in their mind. And if they just stand up and show up and get in the ring and work towards it. You can be anything that you want to be. And I'm living proof of that, you know? Yeah, you are living proof of that, man. There's no question about that. I can't tell you how many people that would have had your same circumstances would have ended up some sort of, uh, um, I don't want to be uh, disrespectful with, I was going to say like, you know, problematic, let's just say in a different situation, <laughs> not looking like you're in yeah. a better homes and gardens office, you know, big, I'll get into interior design here pretty soon since you're calling me out on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean like everything's so perfectly laid out. That's awesome. Folks pay attention. Everything she said, I'm telling you right now, if you apply and, and leverage, you're going to do much better in life. And, uh, Megan, thank you for coming and, and, and go follow her, go look her up on LinkedIn, Instagram, Gmail, look in the show notes and you can find her. And then more importantly, go support her. Hit her up on one of those. Give her a hashtag bomb squad. Let her know that you, you heard her story and buy her book. Until next time, kids, as always, keep it real. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at droppingbombs.com.